Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Taxmania Devils podcast. This is the first episode where we are going to be discussing tax evasion in professional sports. Um, We'll be going through weekly and discussing various interesting tax topics, and this is our first discussion. I'm your host, Nathan Marin, um, and I'm going to be kicking it off by letting everybody else introduce himself. So let's move it to our tax expert. Mr. Scott Lowry. Hi, this is Scott Lowry, the auditor who is the farthest thing from a tax expert. Um, hey guys, I'm Jennifer Shira. I'm the only tax nerd and on this podcast. So hey guys, I'm Armin Plangian, also a future auditor here. Look forward to discussing tax evasion sports with you all today. All right. So as I dis- as I said, we are going to be talking about tax evasion in professional sports. So I'm going to go ahead and outline kind of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to begin by discussing various athletes who have um, evaded their taxes, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Manny Pacquiao, and Randolph Morris, um, all involved with a few different sports leagues in different countries as well. So definitely an interesting discussion there. And then we're going to move it into a little bit more specific questions um, just to discuss and talk about amongst each other. So we're going to go ahead and start it by moving into our discussion on athletes and start with Lionel Messi. So, Armin, take yeah. us from here. Uh, what's up, guys? So, yeah, we're going to discuss Lionel Messi first. I'm sure a lot of you all have heard of Messi. He's one of the um, greatest soccer players of all time, if not the greatest of all time, in my humble opinion. Uh, he's a native of Rosario, Argentina, and he plays for the Arge- Argentinian national team. Um, he's also spent the majority of his career in Spain playing for FC Barcelona, but he recently did join uh, Paris Saint-Germain of the French League. Um, He has won a record six Ballon d'Or awards, but um, he hasn't only, um, you know, stirred up attention on the pitch. He has also stirred up quite a bit of headlines off the pitch um, as well. And he has done that in the form of tax evasion. Um, So Messi and his dad were both found guilty of three counts of tax fraud, totaling 4.7 million euros in 2016. Um, They were originally or to serve prison sentences, but those were both um, changed to fines of 2 million euros for Messi and 1.5 million euros for his father, Jorge Messi. Um, The two were found to have tax havens in Belize and Uruguay and shell companies in the UK and Switzerland to avoid paying taxes on revenue from Messi's image rights contracts, which we're going to discuss a little bit more later on in the podcast. Um, The taxes avoided were on Messi's image rights between 2007 and 2009. Um, like I said earlier, Messi was originally sentenced to 21 months in prison, but the, the sentence was replaced with a fine of 2,550,000 euros. All right. So, Armin, is Lionel Messi your favorite soccer player ever? Um, he's not my favorite. I'm actually more of a Ronaldo fan, Okay, but you got to give credit where credit is due. I think Messi is the GOAT. Okay. So. Armin is our resident soccer expert. So I was a little curious if Messi was his favorite player, um, but apparently not. So I'll go ahead and talk about his favorite player, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, so fun facts about Ronaldo. He's a native of Funchal, Madeira, Portugal. Um, he's actually named after Ronald Reagan who was his father's favorite actor and was currently at that time sitting as the U.S. president, regarded by many as the greatest soccer player of all time, again, up for debate between a few other players, one being Messi. Um, He's won five Ballon d'Ors. He has the most appearances, goals, and assists in Champions League history. He's played for some great clubs, um, one being Manchester United, another being Real Madrid. And 
Juventus before rejoining Manchester United uh, within the last year or two. He has a lifetime contract with Nike, um, which is only three athletes have. He's joined by the second greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, and the greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron James. Ronaldo is the most followed athlete on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So go ahead, ladies, and hit him up. Um, as he has been named the fittest man alive by Men's Health in 2014. And if my memory serves me correctly, I think also named sexiest man alive at one point. Um, so yeah, Jennifer, raising your eyebrows there. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move into his evasion circumstances. So between 2011 and 2014, Cristiano dodged taxes in Spain while playing for the Spanish club Real Madrid. Um, prosecutors allege that Ronaldo used a shell company in the Virgin Islands to create a screen in order to hide his total income. He intentionally did not declare 28.4 million euros related to image rights and declared 11.5 million of earnings from 2011 to 2014 when his real income was almost 43 million euros. Big discrepancy there. Um, the prosecution also alleged that the forward falsely reported income as coming from real estate, which would have greatly reduced his tax rate. Um, so going into the actual settlement that happened, uh, Ronaldo was guilty, um, but under Spanish law, a first offender can serve anything less than a two-year sentence under probation. So Ronaldo did not have to go to prison. His court appearance only lasted about 15 minutes as he only needed to sign off on a previously settled agreement. Um, by agreeing to settle the case and paying 19 million euros, he avoided a potential 23-month prison sentence and again, was able to avoid jail time due to the lack of violent nature of the, cr of the crime. Um, so that's pretty much Ronaldo's circumstances. Again, a really interesting guy. And uh, again, just super fit, super, super sexy, great guy all, all the way around. So let's go ahead and move it into Scott Lowry to discuss Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, so Manny Pacquiao, um, as many of you guys know, he's a boxer. Um, really wasn't all that into boxing until I started this case. Uh, and it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm thinking about trying out, but Manny, or Manny, I'm sorry, is a native of, um, and I'm going to get this name wrong. He's from the Philippines, uh, but it's from Kibawe, I believe, uh, in the Philippines. Um, he's not only one of the greatest boxers of all time, he's also a politician, which I'll kind of dive into in just a second. Um, he's the only eight division world champion in the history of boxing, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, he has won 12 major world titles. And then, like I said a second ago, he's also kind of getting involved in politics. Um, in September of 2021, so like two months ago, he declared his candidacy in the 2022 Philippine presidential election. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, he's going to box his way to the top. Um, so uh, his evasion circumstances are kind of like uh, the BIR requested supporting documents from Pacquiao after he suddenly dropped as one of the Philippines' top 10% taxpayers in 09, um, Pacquiao was just unable to provide any supporting documents, which is uh, kind of sus. But, um, you know, of course, I looked into that. So in 2012, the Bureau of Internal Revenue, so that's what BIR stands for, by the way, is the Bureau of Internal Revenue. Um, they computed tax deficiencies for 08 and 09 to be uh, $3.3 billion at the penalties. Um, the accusation against Pacquiao was that he did not declare his dollar winnings from his fight against Juan Manuel uh, Marquez, David Diaz, and Oscar De La Hoya back in 08, uh, and as well as Ricky Hatton and Miguel Cotto back in 09. Um, Pacquiao appealed 
their, uh, their accusations and their decision to the Court of Tax Appeals or the CTA. Um, and after that, so the CTA imposed a surety bond worth uh, uh, P3.9 billion. Pacquiao elevated this to, be, to the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court remanded the case back to the CTA, so back to that Court of Tax Appeals, to determine if the surety bond was proper and right. And then approximately six years uh, later in, in 2018, six years after that uh, accusation, that Pacquiao evaded tax, um, evaded his taxes, the CTA ordered the BIR to cease and desist from collecting Pacquiao's tax deficiencies. Um, so it kind of sounds like he won that match. Uh, then the CTA determined the reason they made them um, like cease and desist is because they determined that the BIR did not have sufficient evidence to launch an investigation of fraud against him. Their only evidence was considered inadmissible um, as it was largely sourced from news articles. Uh, and, and I guess Manny must have claimed it was fake news. Um, the CTA also lifted orders of restraint and ruled surety bonds should be dispensed um, should be dispensed after that. Uh, so it sounds like Manio kind of got off pretty well. Like many of his boxing matches, he won that round. Um, so we'll see if, if anything comes up later on in his life, maybe after he uh, boxes his way to the Philippines version of the White House. Absolutely, Scott. Um, great analysis there on Manny Pacquiao. Again, such a great uh, tax expert. So we always appreciate you coming on and providing insight where you can. Um, so for the people. Absolutely. So next we're going to discuss Randolph Morris, your favorite Beijing duck of the Chinese Basketball Association. And Jennifer is going to lead this discussion. So Jennifer, whenever you're ready. Yeah, guys. So I am a big basketball fan. Now it's mainly focused on college basketball, but um, I have heard of Randolph Morris and I'm sure many, like many of you have. Um, so he was actually highly rated as a high school prospect and he was selected to be a part of the McDonald's All-American team in high school. Um, and then he eventually signed to play at Kentucky for college and um, he declared for the 2005 NBA draft after his freshman year there. He went undrafted, but signed a two-year contract with the New York Knicks. And then after a two-year stint with the Knicks, Morris signed a two-year deal with the Atlanta Hawks. And then Morris spent uh, several years with the Beijing Ducks of the Chinese Basketball Association, as Nathan mentioned. So his tax evasion story is very interesting. Um, so when he played with the Beijing Ducks, he earned $13.3 million in salary and bonuses from the range of 2010 to 2017. Um, he was accused of neither reporting his, his income while he was in China, um, as well as not paying his US taxes on the income. So this uh, led to wire fraud charges with, uh, where he basically submitted false income information to the Kentucky Department of Revenue for 2015 through 2017 tax years. So in total, he faced 11 counts um, charged against him in the tax court. Um, so basically the wire fraud charges for Kentucky Department of Revenue, he um, essentially deprived Kentucky of more than $400,000 in tax revenue. So like many, many states would be very um, disappointed with not getting that income. Um, um, so other eight counts alleged that he failed to report his earnings from the Beijing Ducks on his federal 1040 and 1040A forms for the years 2010 through 2017. Uh, he, faced, he faced up to 20 years in prison and a fine of 250000 per wire fraud count. 
Remember there were 11 counts. So that's a big chunk of change. Um, his initial interview with the FBI was conducted over FaceTime, which is where many of the false statements were, dis were discovered. And this is where a lot of the story gets a little confusing. So because Morris claims to have had technical difficulties during the call, and then he also claims that he was suffering from jet lag. So he that's his defense to many of the quote false statements. Um, and to the jury, he claimed to have attempted the to retrieve the tax documents from the ducks, but with no uh, with no prevailing. With this being said, the government was not able to convince the jury beyond a reasonable doubt that Morris intentionally defrauded the government. Therefore, in 2021, he was found not guilty. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, again, great discussion there among the, the tax experts. So now we're going to move in to, again, our more specific discussion questions um, and provide a little bit more detail about, you know, why this happens, where it happens, um, and all of that stuff. So, Scott, why don't you go ahead and kick us off here in this part of the podcast? Yeah. So one thing I want to kind of talk about is like, why do these professional athletes have like such a big problem evading taxes? Um, like none of us like to pay them, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it never ends well. Um, so one reason that I kind of think about is a lot of the times these like younger athletes, when they're first starting out, they come from, um, you know, maybe not terrible situations, but not the best situations. Um, and so they don't have a lot of money, then they come into this large sum of money and they just don't know what to do with it. Uh, sometimes they hire like financial advisors, which is good, but those advisors may not give them the best advice or they have people in their corner who uh, doesn't have, don't have their best interests at heart. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of important as far as like being privy to the laws regarding taxes, making sure that they are withholding what they need to withhold. Um, and, and talking about withholding is that like athletes who engage in sponsorship. So a lot of these athletes do have sponsorship deals. Um, they have to withhold like self-employment tax on that kind of, because the sponsorships don't withhold taxes, uh, themselves. So it's all up to the athlete. Um, and, and that can be kind of daunting again, if you don't hire the right people, or if you just don't hire anybody at all, because you're not really aware of all the tax implications with, with coming in, in, into this large sum of money. Um, sometimes in some cases, the, the financial advisors they hire actually begin to embezzle the money, uh, which is, um, just kind of sad, but they, um, do it without the athlete's knowledge. And then that leads to like underpayment or just non-payment. Um, and it's unintentional on the athlete side, but sometimes the athlete is still held liable for the tax owed on their stolen money. So like they may not even get the money back. They still owe taxes on it. Uh, and then another thing to think about, it's like cer certain jurisdictions. And again, if you don't know about this, there's you no, know, you can't, you, you can't pay what you don't know about. Um, certain jurisdictions impose a jock tax on athletes that play in their jurisdiction. So like if, if Manio, for instance, is boxing in a jurisdiction outside of where he actually lives, there could be um, implications there as far as paying taxes where he lives and where he's boxing at. Uh, so just like understanding those rules regarding that is, is really crucial. Um, to just ensure that like the correct amounts are withheld. So that's just a couple of reasons of like why this happens with professional athletes. Yeah, that's um, that's really a sad topic to hear. Um, just that there's vultures people around all these athletes. So definitely not not what you want to hear, but not surprising. All the last when you get money, people want to want to have their share of it. So disappointing to say the least. And we're going to go ahead and move into punishments and ramifications for tax evasion. And Jennifer is going to lead this discussion. So Jennifer. 
Yeah. So one of the big questions um, with professional athletes is, you know, are their punishments less harsh or are they more harsh for them versus ordinary people? And I think that's a very complicated question because there's a lot of layers. So um, one thing to start that off with is the IRS has started to focus a lot more on U.S. income reporting and tax compliance, specifically of foreign athletes and entertainers that are either playing in the U.S. or playing on foreign soil. This started a process about in 2008, and this is when the IRS decided to designate an entire task force for watching the movements and interactions of professional athletes. So who they're talking to, you know, what kind of deals are they making, stuff like that. Um, so they can compare that information with what's actually being reported uh, on their tax documents. Um, so I would say they're definitely looked at more because they're able to move money around quickly within different jurisdictions based on where they're playing. Um, and so monitoring their sponsorship money and movements around the globe um, in order to determine where they're reporting their, if they're accurately reporting income to the US is a pretty difficult topic or difficult task. Um, but like I said earlier, it's difficult to see if uh, they receive harsher or less harsh treatment because really the problem is, is because they're professional athletes, they are more, um, they're subject to public scrutiny. So a lot of times the government, the judges, you know, the jury, whatever are, they feel pressured to um, really take them to the fullest extent on the law. Um, and so sometimes that can mean harsher treatment. Sometimes because of their publicity, they're able to wheel and deal their way out of that. So um, like I said, it's kind of difficult to determine that, but um, I would say it's, they do get uh, intense public scrutiny, maybe not more harsh or less harsh punishment there. Okay. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Um, definitely good analysis there and definitely learned something from listening to that. So I appreciate it for sure. Um, so next we're going to be talking about what sport and what sport league is hit hardest by tax evasion. Um, and Armin's going to lead this discussion. So Armin, whenever you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's very difficult to pinpoint how many tax evasion cases have occurred in each sport, but you can look at publicly available information to see who and where um, the tax evasion is occurring to some extent. And um, I would say that two sports particularly kind of stuck out, and those are boxing, where some of the biggest names in the sport, such as Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather, have um, both been accused of some form of tax evasion. And then professional soccer, which is um, probably the single largest um, league or um, sport in terms of tax evasion cases. Um, and I think this is largely due to the international nature of the sport. You have players from a lot of different countries playing in countries that they're not originally from and living in those countries. Um, so inevitably, you're going to have a lot of confusion in terms of tax laws. Countries have a variety of different tax structures and rates that athletes have to be in compliance with. Um, for instance, in, in uh, Spain, which is probably the largest um, hub of tax evasion cases over the last uh, decade, um, you, you've had eight very, very well-known players um, commit or be involved with some form of tax evasion. All right. Interesting stuff there. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and finish off our discussion questions with a little bit of a discussion on what countries see the most tax evasion and kind of what are the factors that contribute to this. Um, so we kind of asked, you know, the question, like, where do the ultra wealthy shield their income? Um, and honestly, the research kind of yielded some surprising results in terms of billions of U.S. dollars. Um, 
we saw a graph that ranked each country and the U.S. far and away was number one with 189 estimated annual corporate tax losses, um, which compared to the second largest was China with 66.8 billion U.S. dollars. So obviously U.S. three times as large as any other jurisdiction, pretty crazy cost that the U.S. government is incurring. But when you look at it by GDP um, and more of a percentage-based calculation, the U.S. only 1.13% of GDP annually is lost and China is actually 0.75%. Compare this to the countries with the highest um, annual percentage GDP lost and you see a lot of poor countries located in the Middle East and Africa, which get as high as 7% of their annual GDP loss. So U.S. losing money, but definitely not um, on the scale of some of these less wealthy nations. So interesting there. Um, and then I also found a um, index called the Financial Secrecy Index, which ranks jurisdictions according to their secrecy and the scale of their off offshore activities. It's a politically neutral um, index and just a tool for understanding tax havens and illicit financial flows and capital flight risks. Um, so list of the top 10 kind of comes up with an interesting um, assortment of nations. You see a lot of very different countries listed. Of course, you have financial powers such as Japan and the U.S., along with much smaller nations like the Cayman Islands and the Virgin Islands. Um, no surprise as well to see Switzerland on, at third with their loose banking restrictions that is commonly portrayed in pop culture and in movies. So, you know, again, an interesting list. Um, I will admit that seeing the U.S. on the list is a, a bit of a surprise. Um, I, I wouldn't consider the United States a tax haven, but it isn't for U.S. citizens. It's actually the ultra wealthy from East Asia and the Middle East um, utilizing the United States due to holes in foreign tax law. So, again, kind of provides some insight as to why the U.S. is actually so high. Um, definitely interesting there. And then overall, the tax haven landscape is pretty soon to be shifting. The G7 just struck a deal in June of 2021 to start taxing multinational corporations based on the revenue generated in each country um, instead of where the company is based, as well as setting a global minimum tax of 15 percent. Um, and there's like 107 countries or something like that that have already signed on to this deal. And I believe that I'm not sure if the U.S. was holding out on it, but I believe that um, with the most recent infrastructure bill passing, they may be um, joining in on this crusade. Again, not 100 percent sure there, but um, U.S. still kind of deciding where they're at. Um, so overall, we got a, we got a lot of different sources in here. Um, all researchers gathered from Sportico, Justice.gov, Bleacher Report, The Guardian, Visual Capitalist, Forbes, Rapples, and Golden Tax Relief. Um, definitely interesting stuff and unique circumstances at play for all these scenarios and different questions. Um, do we have any words from my co-host and tax experts? Nathan, I just want to say thank you again, man, for hosting us today. Enjoyed uh, being on the podcast and discussing some of these tax topics. Yeah, I just want to say you guys can always account on us. <laughs> uh, that was a great first episode, guys. Yeah, um, definitely really proud and thankful for how this turned out. I hope to grow our base and have a huge, you know, subscriber base on all platforms, Spotify, Apple music, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I, I definitely want to have a, a great listening base. So I appreciate you guys for listening. This was definitely a long podcast, but you know, again, hope that we could provide some insight onto an interesting situation. Um, and that is tax evasion and professional sports. So have a great day. Thanks for listening. Um, and toodles.